Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. <laughs> the bitch is back. Something's wrong with the no. thing here. Well, wrong. Hang on. I tried to restart, but yeah. let me get it right. Let me get it right. It sounds like it might be an AV problem. It's, um, you know, I need to, I need to call the AV girl. I got, okay. You're going to get the, have the gal come up, bring up the cart. Listen, I'm doing so much with technology now. If, if I am, I have so many projects involving technology. I just move from, from one to the next. Like, like, uh, I'm spinning plates on Ed Sullivan, except it's wires a lot of the time. I wish, I really wish that I had, um, let's see. What if I got a built in output? That's not right. No, no. Yeah. Um, I, I really wish I had your uh, enthusiasm about technology, Merlin. I really wish I did. What a, well, what a, I, no, no. I'm sort of like Brad Pitt in um, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Like, oh. I, I, on some level, I love my work, but my work is not pretty. But somebody's got to do it. Also, I'm from Tennessee. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, what's his name? Yeah. Old Hickory? Uh, Jim, Jim Memphis? What's his name? Philo Farnsworth. What's his name? His name is. Yeah, a good it's, name. Uh, it's, it's a it's a um, case where you have a you have a whole squad of uh, of Jewish guys, but you couldn't find an officer. Okay, I'm walking away from that Jewish one. Officer, you had to get a guy. Okay, no, there's there's in the after show, which I will start probably today. I I will I will give you some of my punchlines for that nominal joke. <laughs> yeah, uh, Merlin, I'm looking at the Skype uh, audio video setting. Okay, okay, and uh, they don't have. Any that you know, they have more space here dedicated to choosing a background video effect than they do uh, to change your audio video settings. Yeah, it says automatically adjust microphone settings. Turn whatever built-in microphone. You really want to turn that off. Device. Yeah, I'm switching between them. I'm just not getting the drop I'm down for microphone. Getting, um, what are your options? I'm getting it here. I can hear my own voice in the headphones. Well, that, that's good. That means you're healthy. That means you're wholesome. You're, you have good, um, you know, sensory integrity. But I don't have you. Oh. Um, um, that drop down by microphone. What are your options? Your options. Drop down up here. So where it says audio, the uh, little gray audio and the little black microphone, you probably see, might see a purple thing jumping up and down for microphone volume. No, I don't. I don't are, see that. Are you in Skype? I am in Skype. Hmm. Under audio, I see microphone. Yep. There's a levels. Yep, yep, yep. No nope. levels. Are back so there. across from where it says microphone, do you see a little uh, droppy downy arrow, like on the same level as microphone horizontally? Yeah, it has two settings: built-in microphone and default device. Okay, I think the microphone needs to be unplugged and replugged. Your external microphone. Oh, okay. Well, my USB or my microphone. Hmm. Oh well, here I'm gonna unplug the USB. Do it all. Do it all. Doesn't cost anything. Not, by go. the way, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna invo invoice you for this. I'm gonna do this on the strength. So you're saying I should hot plug this? I would say hot do a do a hot swap, and then <laughs> do a do a cold shoe, and then uh, maybe maybe have like a little aperitif. Doesn't have to be alcoholic. Also, I recently learned how to make uh, childhood party punch. I'm gonna put that on the list. All right, I just hot party punch. Oh, hey, there you are. How did that work? Uh, I don't know, man. You blew the dust uh, out. Yeah. I guess I did, although it's a little bit. Do you remember that every party you go to as a kid, it, all, it always had that same red punch? Are you kidding me? Well, it's Kool-Aid. Mm -mm, mm -mm, oh, mm -mm. no, no, no. It's Hawaiian punch. It's Hawaiian punch. Well, it's Hawaiian punch, but then you got you to add the activators. Okay. What Here's what you probably don't remember. What you remember is that sickeningly sweet 
wonderful taste of childhood punch. Yes, I do. Yeah, so step one, most of that, let's be honest, it's Hawaiian punch, but you know what else? Yeah, and I'll give you the rest. I'll give you the recipe because I made it. We made it on uh, Joe Biden night, and then we had a toast. You do Hawaiian punch, canned pineapple juice, and then you top it off with Sprite. Where did you hear this? They're secret recipes, John. Only I know where they are. But you could try you to read you this could try in Sunset Magazine. Prime rib dressing. Uh, you could learn how to make, um, you know, Popeye's fried chicken, and they're almost all terrible and wrong. But I, and then the other suggestion for the Hawaiian punch, I'll share it with you. The other thing they suggest is you can add some sherbet to that. Oh, uh, now I'm having now I'm having serious flashbacks. Well, here's the thing: you remember sherbet. the punch, but do you remember the fizz? Yes, I do remember the fizz. That's Sprite. It's Sprite. Yeah, I'll send you. Are the you recipe. sure? Are you sure it's not Fresca? Do they even have Sprite then? I would, I would know if it's Fresca. It's oh. like when they give you that allergy test and they punch, punch all the stuff in your arm and you're like, man, we'll try one more and it's grass. And like, nah, now my arm's coming off. Like I would know. I would know if it's Fresca. No, was your mom a Fresca person if memory serves? Wait a minute. Are you telling me that you're allergic to Fresca? Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, really no. any diet beverage. I can't have Diet Coke. No Diet Pop. They've tried it. They tried it. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Now are you telling me that Fresca is a Diet Pop? Fresca, Fresca is a diet pop. Oh. Because it don't, I, don't, I think it don't got no sugar. I think back in the day it had the saccharin. Oh. I can look I it did, up. I didn't know that. No, we never had Fresca in the house, and I guess that's probably why. It was so gross, but it, it, you know what? Here's, here's my feeling. Here's what I've arrived at after 54 years on, on God's great planet is that there's no accounting for taste, and, and that's sure. good. Sure. So people sure, just sure, sure. like things, okay? And I, if you, the thing is there are certain pops— that have a very strong taste to them, to yes. some people. I think Fresca is one. I think Dr. Pepper or his, his uh, laggard brother, Mr. Pibb, mm-hmm. I think there's something to that. They, people think that tastes like prunes. And then there's on the other end of the spectrum is where, where I, I don't go to the other end of the spectrum. I don't even hardly acknowledge it, but like water with a little something in it is the bane of mm. my existence. No, don't, don't give like me a either. fruit taste in a flat water. We've talked about this before. Have British we? people it's hate gross. root beer. Uh, British people hate root beer. They don't understand it. Remind me why. Uh, It tastes like medicine to them. And then when you have root beer in the UK, you realize why they think that because their root beer tastes bad. It's an American drink, root beer. Uh, Yeah, like you start with a sarsaparilla, that good sarsaparilla. That good old sarsaparilla. And what is the thing in that that makes it taste like medicine? Roots. It's got roots like horseradish. Bark. Yeah. Okay, roots or a highway. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, but also, <laughs> talk. we've we've talked a lot about. We've tab. talked a lot about everything, John. It's not going to stop yeah. us. That's true. Bitch is uh, back. You know, I was a, we were a tab family because my dad drank tab. My mom didn't drink. My tab, stepfather my dad drank tab. Drank tab, and you know, I, I I'm remembering just as I say this that he had some he had some deal where some tab fell off the back of a truck. If you know what I'm saying, like at a time. Oh. When this was not when this was not commonplace, Dad would come home with like a like what what would you call it? Not we're a talking, pallet, we're talking pre Costco like here. Yes, and he had he some home, kind of a wholesale pop hookup. He did. He had a trunk full of tab that he would, and it was a thing. <laughs> it was a thing where I think you know he worked at the railroad, and I think the railroad was buying wholesale quantities of tab, and then he worked out a deal with the procurement people oh that he was going to skim a little, you know, a couple of a trunk full of tab off the top, <laughs> and 
I the thing is, we, tab became a thing in our family like bananas. It was just like you know you, we drank tab, but oh, I hated you would have tab. the milk milkman, the milk they bring you milk. Yep, in a little box. And but like it's just it was considered what we call a staple, right? We're just there's always going to be tab. There's never a time we don't have tab. There was always tab in my dad's fridge. There was no pop Your at dad all. Dad had his own fridge. fridge. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. In the fridge at my dad's house. Oh right, okay. Right, right, right. That's that's your so, dad's fridge. Sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah. So dad's fridge had tab in it, and it had a and it had a 45 on top of it from from you the mean war. A seven inch record or a pistol. No, a pistol. Like is that the that, one he that, used to shoot the zero out of the sky, that's John? That's the same one, same he one. He had a sidearm, and that's how he shot the Japanese man's plane out of the sky. Yes, and he, and he kept, kept it on top tab. of the refrigerator. And okay. there was also a jar up there that had the keys to his plane. And, uh, you know, like rooting around in Dad's house, you found all kinds of interesting things. Rooting around in Mom's house, you were less likely to find interesting things because she was a purger, right? She would throw things mm -hmm. away. Yeah. Dad never threw anything away. So you'd <laughs> you'd be you'd open a drawer and there'd be a bunch of stock certificates in there from an oil company <laughs> that Those he are my German bear bonds. You know, he owned like four hundred thousand shares of some oil oil company from nineteen fifty five. And I was like, Are these worth anything? And he's like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Mom's fridge had no pop in it. In fact, mom kept a thing of grape juice because grape juice was a grape juice was a was a prize that motivated my sister. If, I was I was all in the bag for Welch's, I want to yes. say Concord grape juice, which is basically again it's sugar water, but yeah. it, it was intense. I also yeah, love I also love Welch's grape pop. Mm. Grape grape I is my too. favorite flavor. It was my favorite pop tart. Um and it's it's my favorite juice, but you can't have a lot. Because like there's a reason when you go to communion they give you that tiny little cup of of Welch's because that's Jesus and, and you can't have too much of that or you get fat. Uh Susan Susan was not motivated by much, but she was motivated by grape juice. But but it is testament to how infrequently we had communion at our house that uh, the Welch's grape juice would routinely turn to wine in the refrigerator before we made our way through. <laughs> oh my wine. God! Is that that's kind of a? It's, it's really, if you think about it, it's kind of its own version of transubstantiation, isn't it? I know. It's kind of crazy, right? But the you so, somewhere wine. between bootlegging. And transubstantiation. The, the government's going to come, them revenuers. I can't even imagine what my mom was what doled it out to her. Did she get the big one or a little one? Because the, the oh. usual were pretty big. Because here's the other thing, John. There's another thing I know about drinks is that people who like it like it a lot. So, for example, many of the people in my life, especially of a certain gender, love mm. Diet Coke. Mm. And, all genders. But especially in the, in the 80s, 90s, ladies mm. would just drink a 12-pack of Diet Coke. Sure people would. would drink a lot of Fresca. You could, if you're into it, you could drink, oh, let's say, hypothetically, a whole lot of chocolate milk. It would make me sick, but certain other people <laughs> don't get sick. <laughs> I would drink some chocolate milk right now oh, if I, I had some. Phlegm, so but I feel so guilty about it. Do you Why? have guilt? Do you have pop guilt? You don't have pop guilt. Oh, today? No, I just have so much pop guilt because my mom was so against sugar drinks. And, right, right, right. And, um, and then chocolate milk. I mean, all those things. When they were handed to you, they always had a little floating asterisk over them, like, yes. this is terrible for you, and you're terrible for wanting. And really, it. with the same sort of valence as TV, where it's like, yeah. there's amounts of TV, there's kinds of TV, and with all these drinks kids love, uh, young people love, it's also, like, how much will it be, and, like, when is it okay? Yeah. Um, so, as far as the grape juice, though, that would... So, give me a scenario where a young Susan needs motivation... And her mother is going to incentivize her, as they say, with a juice. 
See, that's what I'm trying to remember. Like I was completely motivated by ice cream. You could get me to do anything you wanted. Jump through a flaming hoop. If you, hmm. if you were going to give me a bowl with a single scoop of ice cream in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Susan is headstrong and I'm not sure she wasn't a picky eater. I'm not sure what it was that, that warranted the special occasion of trotting out the grape juice. I didn't really care about it. I mean, grape juice is great and everything, but it's not like I waited around for it. Right. But for, but for but, you, and just uh, just for completion, um, somebody's going to motivate John. We're not up to the point of stomping on the toys in the closet. We're going to try, we can do hard or easy, right? Carrot or stick. When right. we want to motivate John with a single scoop of ice cream in a bowl, what is that flavor? Oh, any flavor will do. But of really? course, you know, chocolate being the being the peak. What if it had nuts? Are you cool with nuts? You do a rocky No, 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 no. Don't want I it. hate nuts. Nope. Nuts, nuts and raisins. Why are you putting them in things? Stop putting well, nuts and raisins in things. If, if you put marshmallows in ice cream, which was very common in our day, huh. uh, what Rocky Road, right, has little tiny marshmallows Yeah, I in think it. you're right. Yeah. And what you've got now, because honestly, I'm betraying myself here by saying that I do eat nuts in ice cream now, but right. it, was the, it, it was the nuts and marshmallows. And I, you know, you don't know what gear to put your jaw into. I totally, right? like, and also, it's got, there's certain kinds of foods that are, even like a food you can buy in a store, they're obviously a stoner food. I don't know that it's a stoner food for, in purchasing, but it really, Rocky Road seems like the kind of thing somebody came up with when they've been a little bit high. Mm-hmm. Nuts and marshmallows. And what else? You got chocolate chunks, or am I thinking Chunky Monkey? Was that banana? Yeah, that came later. That came later. Well, I, how did you feel I, about I've never Neapolitan? been happy about the addition of nuts to food. Now, I am a kind of person. Last night, I ate an entire jar of anchovies because that's just how I roll. I love wow. anchovies. Wow. Well, that's another strong. Here, it's like cilantro. It's like Fresca, John. It's another very strong flavor that people have strong opinions about. We were driving in the car yesterday, and mm-hmm. my daughter's mother is going through another one of her intermittent um, cleanse slash fast class. Is she doing the thing where you the thing. weird the weird fasting and the app tells you when to eat? Uh, probably. I mean, it's it, no, it's the it's, thing. So it's called intermittent fasting, right? Yeah, I'm okay. not. I'm not. A, I'm not against it. I'm for it. Hmm. But but you know, she's just. It's just a way of 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 just, I don't know shaping her day or whatever. But we're driving along. Uh, on a on a uh, on a mission, we went on a mission, and all of a sudden the car fills up with a noxious smell, and I look over and she has opened a Tupperware, and is eating hard boiled egg deviled eggs <laughs> in the car without and a word. She just cracks open the Tupperware and down go the ova. Here here we go, D- deviled eggs, and okay. I uh, you know I'm kind of a super smeller. Mm-hmm. And I get very, you know, smells can really, really put me off, uh, and they also they also are very compelling to me. But but I can smell, I well, can smell and tiny, eggs, tiny like, eggs. Got that sulfur. It's like a super intense <sighs> uh, food fart. When we, when when we were on uh, on one of our very first tours as the Long Winters, uh, we were all very poor at the time. And Chris Cornelia, if you recall, uh, original member of the Long Winters, was funny guy. was. Funny guy. He was very poor, and he really w- he really wanted to remind the rest of us who were also very poor that he was even poorer. Uh, oh, he's, he was he's a, king poor. He was king you, poor. You best not come at the king. So we're driving across the country, and we're in North Dakota or something, and we pull over. It's like well, it's time for dinner, you know. We pull over at a Denny's, and there's oh no no no, it was in Montana, and there was a friend of mine that lived there, and he. And he was like, meet me at the Denny's out by the highway. 
And we were like, okay, we're meeting our friend out by the Denny's. And he was going to come out from it. We weren't playing in that town. He was just going to drive out and meet us. So we pull into the parking lot and Chris says, well, I can't go into the Denny's. And and we were like, why? And he's like, well, I don't have any money. I can't afford to eat at Denny's. Oh, it wasn't a lifetime ban. Okay. No, no, no. And we were like, come on, man. We're just going to go into the Denny's. There's always something to get, you know. And this was before I had enough money to, to, the band wasn't making any money. I didn't have enough money to, to buy everybody food all the time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, we'll just, we'll figure something out. Get you a plain hamburger or something. He's like, nope, nope. I, you know, I can't afford it. I'm just going to sit in the van. And he wouldn't get off of it. So it's partly was, a money thing, but it's, it's also almost like a moral position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was taking a moral position. He was the poorest one in the band. Mm-hmm. And so we go in, we sit in the Denny's. <laughs> Chris is sitting, you know, in the back seat of the van, staring straight ahead uh, out in the parking lot. You know, and, he's, and the van's parked right there. So, you know, we can look out the window and he's just in there, just in the dark. <laughs> like Peter at the, Brady at the party. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, he, so we hang out with my friend. We have some burgers. And it's, you know, it's night. We're headed into the dark and we, we get back on the road and we're driving along. And all of a sudden the, the van fills up with the noxious gas. And I look over and he's opened a can of tuna and is eating raw tuna out of the can with his fingers. Hmm. And I said, Chris, Hmm. and and I I wasn't the best, I wasn't the best manager. I, I think we've established that. I was like, you can't eat you can't eat a just a can of raw tuna in the van like it stinks now it it smells like cannery row in here <laughs> and you know it's winter we can't roll the windows down yeah and he's like i'm poor and this is you know i i need food to survive and you know i, I didn't say like why didn't you eat the tuna tuna while we were inside eating hamburgers <laughs> i i think i did say why didn't you come in and have a hamburger but it was a, you know, eventually, like, eventually I said, it's just, you can't do, it's just, you cannot do it. You're punishing us with this tuna smell. And, I, you know, the other guys, I don't know, maybe the tuna doesn't bother them. But he eventually threw his can of tuna out the window of the speeding car. Hmm. That, and it probably hit some kid, and that kid is president of the United States right now. You know, it's oh, just damned. about those things. Hmm. But, uh, but, yeah, the, the eggs... And yesterday, I have to now. Now I'm having all these flashbacks. Yesterday, I'm also laying on the couch reading a book, and the house fills with noxious smell. And uh, my daughter's mother has decided that she is going to put canned salmon in a pan and cook it for canned lunch. Canned salmon in a pan in the state of Washington. Yep, canned salmon. Well, we have good canned salmon. Oh sure, okay. You know, only what the, only the finest, only okay. the finest. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to this stuff and I'm, and, uh, you know, and it's, it, I, I could almost see her putting marshmallows in it, frankly. Like I well, just why don't. Not? Can, can I ask some background questions here? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so you know that your daughter's mother is doing the, something like intermittent fasting. Mm. Have, have, uh, two part question. Have you seen evidence of ad hoc, um, offsite food before? And second, in this instance, if you can say, did you know that there were eggs in the car that I guess she has like a caddy or an mm-hmm. oversized purse? Yeah, I did not know. There okay. was also another Second thing full first. of, full yeah. of apples and, uh, and almonds Ugh. in her bag and, uh, you know, and like dry, dry almonds with no salt. I, I support, 
I support her when she decides that this is the thing because I know how much harder it is to do a thing like that if it's, the people it's, 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 don't it's, support it. It's you. brave and important to support an idea. It's difficult to support day-to-day implementation in my experience. Right. And in particular, it's hard for her to do it when my daughter and I are eating macaroni and cheese sure. and she's sitting yeah. over there eating canned salmon and marshmallows. <laughs> Like I can't, you know, I can't, I can't be, I can't <laughs> Why add. Why don't you just come in and have a hamburger? <laughs> I can't, I can't add to her you suffering. You see if you can hook them up. That'd be so cute. Chris and, Chris, no, I think Chris, 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 Chris is in a life, life relationship. Hmm. But, and, and, you know, and for that matter. Is he matter, still funny? Is he still funny? Still. I, you know, I haven't talked to him in a long time. He texted me uh, in the last couple of weeks to, to say hello. And, and, uh, and that was rare for him to to reach out or Maybe really he's been reading the trades. He's been reading the trades. It was rare for him to to show compassion or love for another creature. So it was yeah. nice to hear from him. And um but I've been hearing from a lot of people and I haven't had I haven't, you know, given my full attention to replying to every single person with as much heartfelt gratitude as I as I have. Yeah. But it was it was interesting to hear when from you're him. ready. I got a lot of messages from others to give to you too. <laughs> okay, good. I got some gifts. People keep giving me things to give you. I just want to yeah. be clear: I am not a UPS store, and I'm not John's mom. It's not my day to watch him. Right. He seems fine. I have a lot. I have I have a lot of emails that <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get to all of them. Yeah. It's not okay to blanket thank a whole generation of people on this show and just say thank you, everyone. But I do I do have to say thank you, everyone. And Chris, of all the people to come out of the woodwork, I didn't even know he was still on the internet. I have to imagine that he is still hilarious, but he was, have I ever told you this story? I, I knew him for, I knew him for a decade. Okay, can we just give a little bit of quick context here? Just yeah. real quick for those who don't know the backstory. I'm going to tell this from my point of view. You stop me anytime. Yeah, the night ahead. I met you uh, and your band uh, you were opening for Ken Stringfellow. I also got to meet Scott Miller from Game Theory, and I almost passed out. Um, anyway, well, you, you were had, also Ken Stringfellow's band. You were also Ken Stringfellow's band uh, yeah. for that that wonderful solo album of his, uh, when live performances. And you guys ended up coming to our house. I think Ken tried to have sex with my wife, but I'm not sure. Um, he, he tried it on the Bay Bridge, you know, westbound. <laughs> so... Um, but that's fine. And then we set up his coffin, got some fresh dirt from the Confederate graveyard across the street. And here's all I want to say is, so it was you, um, Michael from uh, the Western State Hurricanes, who was your drummer. Uh, you've got uh, Chris Cornelia, uh, who was at the time kind of do, tr- trying his hand at stand-up. Was that what he was doing? Or he worked at a bookstore or something? Not, he, ha- he hadn't yet figured out that he was going to try his hand at stand-up. He was still, um, mm-hmm. he was still just coming out of... We were all coming out of our 20s, which we had collectively squandered think sitting all around the, in all cafes. All the cumulative years, the five of you squandered. It's amazing to think about. It's astonishing. I got, I got an email today from the CEO of Patreon, who's this guy that used to be in a band called Pomplamoose that yeah, I remember. Yeah, he's with that lady that always looks to the side for some reason. Yeah, always looks to the side. Why and, she do that? You know, she's, doing, she's, she's trying to do a Susanna Hoffs because I'm not sure it's working. It's a thing, yeah. yeah. Jack. He's a Jack, right? He's something like that. I think he's a Jack. And, he shaved his he, head down, uh, I think. He spent his 20s uh, doing something where he had a lot of energy and he did a thing. Yep. We sat around smoking cigarettes and talking about the plays that we were going to write. Right. He's like, did. he's the Desi Arnaz, man. He figured out five different industries before you even knew what an industry was. Right. But he Chris, was, was, he was, Chris was playing funny trumpet. and he played, he played keyboard. And well, no, we, he, neither thing. 
or was was true. Chris did not play the keyboard. Let's oh. be let's be quite clear about remind that. Remind me what he did. He played keyboard in my band, but that does not mean he played the keyboard. Oh, I played, he plays keyboard like you play keyboard. He plays yeah. keyboard like Sean plays keyboard. I played keyboard in Harvey Danger. That does not mean I played keyboard. Uh-huh. But Chris oh, so you say, also- You say you're a bad manager, but you're a really good songwriter. In this mm-hmm. instance, you're all terrible keyboard players, but, but mm-hmm. pretty nice guys mostly. There was never a person in the band that could play the keyboard. And what about, we what's had his name? What about cool, cool, cool guy? Uh, oh, Jonathan? Yeah. Of all the keyboard players in the band, Jonathan was the best at playing the keyboard. But he also, but, he was a little bit like Geddy Lee with ADHD, where he had to be playing five instruments at once in order to concentrate. Yeah, and I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that at that point, uh, his keyboard playing could could save us. I mean, I I don't remember that his keyboard playing oh, was man. a his thing. His role on Commander Thinks Aloud was great. So I just want to finish this and now I'm going to throw it okay. to you. So so we've yep. got Michael Michael playing drums. We've got Chris yep. doing something and being funny. Um, we get, we've got, uh, wait, one, two. Oh, you, you know, if, if I leave him out, he's going to be set. Sean Nelson yes, in he the was band. There. Eric Corson was there. Eric Corson playing the bass and we got you. And like, could there be a bigger charm bomb to fall into my life than this group of people? I didn't know who to love more. Um, and it was all so delightful and so funny. And then Chris, Chris shaved Michael's head in my kitchen and it still, it still freaks me out. Mm. But that's where that 2002, three, something like that. that. That's how you arrived in my life. You guys were a young band. You'd had your first record out. Just barely, just barely. First record, just barely out. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, we were brand new and you know that I, I've, we've talked about it a lot that I used to put my bands together out of people that I liked already friends without really considering if they were good at their instrument or not. And Mm -hmm. Eric Corson was the one guy I didn't know before. And he was the one guy that was great at his instrument. Michael Schilling, of course, was a phenomenal drum player, but that isn't necessarily to say that he was a practiced one. Does he write as loud as he plays? (laughs) He does. His books are just as loud as his drumming. Could you just bring it down a little bit? <laughs> but both Sean and Chris, you know, were were people I'd known for a long time and both like brought way more to the band in the form of personality than they did in the form of music. Although Sean's voice, of course. Sean's voice. Tremendous. I'm saying just go listen On to Carp. You're gonna listen to the first ten seconds of car parts and you'll still never understand what's happening. Ah! Yeah, but, but here's what you think. You think it's Sean Nelson's the high voice. You know who's the high voice? John Morgan Roderick. Yeah, that's right. And then the there's a song. One. It's kind of, maybe it's an organ or maybe it's a voice and you won't know for a few seconds. It's a koan right. that you can never solve. Yes. Wee. There's a lot of wee. wee mm-hmm. Give Kif- C, memory serves. But um, Chris was a guy I met back when I was drinking. I knew Chris when I was drinking. And oh, wow. Chris was a guy who was, at least as a young man, uh, ruggedly handsome. Jet black hair, um, very attractive young man, mm-hmm. and uh, and attractive in a way that like he wasn't ever really grunge, but he could kind of move in and out of grunge circles, and he looked just he just looked cool. So cool people can go everywhere. He's also pretty self possessed, like uh, like you in some ways. He seems like he belongs wherever he walked in. Yeah, although, you know, like all of us that seem self-possessed, like racked with insecurity and oh, just, sure. qu- you know, quivering pile of jello. <clears throat> but Chris had had a lot of personality. But what was not clear was that he was funny. He was, you know, he's, Chris was one of those guys who was trying out a lot of things. He was putting on a lot of hats. Sometimes he would try this. Sometimes he would try that. 
He was the bass player in a band uh, called El Dopa, and they had a they had a brief moment where um, I feel like I know that name. The guy, the guy in Atlanta who was who produced the early TLC records. Um, let me see if I can figure out his name. His name was something like. Uh, like a Jackson Jackson or something. He had some. <laughs> okay. All right. He had a name that was like two. I heard a woman refer to oh, yesterday, yeah. a woman called Faith Faith. Faith Faith. No, his name was Dallas Austin. Have you ever heard of Dallas Austin? No, that's, that Jackson Jackson is a more real name than <laughs> Dallas Austin. That's a, that's a fake name. His name well, is Dallas Austin. You have my friend Denton, Denton Fort, Fort Worth. Denton Fort Worth. Dallas Austin is like, <laughs> is kind of a big deal. He was, um, he, he's different from Babyface, Is that right, John? He, he's, he's old school. So he, he, let, let me see. I'm just looking at his thing. Yeah. Uh, he worked with boys to men. He, hmm. he was, he was, he's a little bit younger than me. Oh, he was, he was married to Chili from TLC. So he was, well, she, she's he was, kind of the, the, was it, wait, what, what, what was the band with left eye? Well, that's TLC. But Chili was the was the one that was a little posh. She had okay. the long hair. Okay. Okay. Um, anyway, so Dallas Austin. This is 1992 or three, something like that. Dallas Austin down there in Atlanta has had some big success with um, with some of his uh, like these R and B signings, and he starts a record label called Rowdy, and hmm. and he says. You know, he starts signing people, and this, of course, you remember this was um, mm-hmm. this was the time when you were you had a record label and you started signing people. You know, he had he had Fishbone. He was like signing signing uh, ac- across the spectrum. Love Fishbone, and he, I don't know what it was. He came up to Seattle, complete fish out of water thing, where he's just like, I'm from Atlanta, but I'm in the music business, and Seattle's where it's happening. There's grunge happening. And I'm gonna go check it out. Mm-hmm. He comes up to Seattle. And he happens to see El Dopa at a show. And El Dopa was a band very much like Western State Hurricanes or any of the other bands at the time. Like there was a, they had a compelling singer frontman. They had uh, a bunch of dudes in the band, including a couple of people that had played with me. You know, they were part of my family group of bands. Mm-hmm. And they just happened to be playing the night that Dallas Austin walked into the club and he was like, I'm going to sign these guys because they are like cool, alternative, grunge, whatever. And whatever they were, I mean, El Dopa was like, again, like all those bands, a complete hot mess. Just, just, hmm. just nuts. And I think you know, they, they covered Fight for Your Right to Party. Uh, <laughs> they, but, but most of their music was like, like, there still uh, was a, that was a whole thing that was in the big spate. Of post, you know, like let's say from '92 on, I'm just I can't remember all of them, but like Murder City Devils, Kid Engine Kid, like there were all these bands like seemingly out of nowhere, or you know maybe not Danny Warhols, but there were all these bands where you were like, hmm, wonder how they're gonna do when they have to like go into an office and deal with people. Do they have like in some cases some of those bands? You take a Pearl Jam, like they've got they got the skills to play pay the bills, and I bet they're pretty easy to deal with. But like a lot of these folks, you wonder like, hmm, 
you had a well-reviewed it was well your last record was well well-reviewed in cmj and i saw you once in a bar and that's all of the due diligence i've done here yeah and there was <clears throat> there were so many so many things happening at that time i remember standing on the side of the stage at a grunt truck show <laughs> And mm-hmm. as sure Grunt Truck as Grunt Truck was leaving the stage at the end, of, and Grunt Truck were great. Mm-hmm. As they were leaving the stage, they're actually like carrying their guitars, walking down the stairs, crowd going crazy. You know, the lights still swirling, the the fog hasn't even dissipated. They're walking down the stairs, and there are guys halfway up the stairs to the stage waving record contracts at them. Jesus Christ! And it, it's just like something you would see in singles and not believe it was true. But I right. I looked at it with my own eyes. Anyway, Eldopa, Dallas Austin flew them down to Atlanta and put them up in his, his like super studio. And they said, you know, it was surreal. Like TLC was recording over here. Boys to men was over there. And then these guys, these like, uh, moss covered, (laughs) super angsty, super. And it's just exactly like you're saying, you know, within the Seattle scene, El Dopa fit in perfectly, right. but walking through this thing, it was like, they didn't, they didn't have the chops to be there. You know, every other bass player in the building was incredible. And then there's Chris Canelia who's like, uh, I think mm-hmm. this is a G note. And then I think it goes to an E <laughs> and in Seattle, that was cool, you know, but so they made a record with Dallas Austin and sorry, the name's still funny. To me. <laughs> it's amazing. And it didn't, the record did not, uh, when, when, when it, when Dallas Austin sat behind his big desk and listened to it over the good speakers, I don't think he, I think his firsthand experience was probably like, huh, maybe grunge isn't where I, but that maybe that's not my strong suit for rowdy records. <laughs> Lesson learned. And it was a terrible thing for Eldopa. They came back to Seattle and they'd made their major label debut, but the record never came out and they, and they didn't own it. So they never got it. And all they had was a cassette tape of the rough mixes that, that the, the, the producer threw up like in the last 20 minutes before they flew home. Right. So they probably never the, heard it. Like a, like a rough mix, probably too loud or too quiet on the cassette, just like you're going out the door, here's your copy to check yeah, out. Exactly. Here's your copy, you know, uh, and, uh, and we'll be seeing you. You know, we'll call you soon. You really? You motion with your, with your pinky and your thumb out and j- jiggle it by your ear. <laughs> we'll be in touch. <clears throat> and it was a tragedy, right? Because if they had just, if Dallas Austin had just said like, hey, thanks for your time, like here are the masters, they right. probably would have sold... 600 cassette tapes at their shows and that would have made them the most popular band in my circle at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But that, you know, that's not how it worked out. But so, so Chris was a guy when I got sober, I moved in with Chris. I moved into the, to, uh, the alcove at the top of his stairs, right? That was at Chris's house. And Chris was having an affair with this girl named Joya and she couldn't break up with her boyfriend. But, but, Still, she was, you know, they were always sneaking off together. It was, we were all. That sounds a little bit fraught, a little bit dramatic. We were all in bed with each other, but not at the same time. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't grunge. We weren't, we were too dark for, to have any fun. 
but <laughs> but what was what was crazy about Chris was that he first of all he did seem like he was capable of having fun, but that sense of humor that came out later, I think the only time it actually came out was when he was alone with a girl, because women loved him, and it was. Other than his looks, it wasn't entirely clear what his magic was. And I think what it was, and I know this because he and I have ended up being roommates together many years later, but before he was in the, the hurricanes. And he would bring girls home to the apartment and they would go into his loft and I would hear them giggle and they would giggle for hours. And like, not just like tee hee hee, no, don't touch me there, but like. Mm -hmm. The girl was cracking up and trying to stifle her laughter. And I, at that point, I'd known him for eight years. And I was like, what is she laughing at? Is he showing her his tattoos? I have no idea what would I'm make gonna, a I'm girl. I'm going to guess probably Bon Mott's. It was Bon Mott's. Yeah. He's, because we learned it later. When, when we were in the van and he felt comfortable enough, he felt that, that intimate space, um, you know, in the van, in the dark, with the lights off, driving through the night. Interesting, similar, similar setup to going into his uh, room. Yeah, he stepped forward and became the funniest person any of us had ever. This, this is all despite despite his um, epic uh, poverty. It, he was super poor. King, that King may, poor that, can really that pull help it out him. when he needs to, right? But it was the it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. I knew this guy forever, and all of a sudden, it wasn't just that he was hilarious. He was. He, he was electric, you know, he was smart and f so fast and, you know, Sean is extremely funny guy. I'm, I imagine that I'm pretty quick witted, but we were just, our hair was just blown straight back. All we could do was just, just <laughs> drive through the night and laugh and let him go. <laughs> and I'd never, I'd never seen a thing like that. And I, I think part of the, I think maybe part of the, like, uh, because we we've all got our twenties tragedies, but then when you when you step into your into your thirties and you feel like I made it, I made it through my twenties tragedies, and now here I am. You you have no idea that you're just embarking on your thirties tragedies, and right. that the, the tragedies of your thirties are going to be so much more mature. Um, they're really <clears throat> really like they're going to smell like can <clears throat> can tuna and deviled eggs. Yeah. Where your your twenties tragedies, you know, smelled like beer and cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. And the and I think the thirties tragedy for Chris was he. We all realized, like, oh, who knew? Like, you're a genius, and you've been trying to be the bass player in an indie rock band, which is a dead end for you. But my God, you're a comedy like uh, shooting star. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we're all doing that thing that our that our parents did to us, which is like, wow, you know, you've. All you, all you need to do is turn this talent into into being the president. There's there's this there's the kinds of things where I look at someone else and I, this might sound subtle but like uh, as I say this is totally just out of my own laziness and lack of industry but I've always wanted to be able to know how to draw, learn to draw. Um, no, I don't want to learn to draw. I want to be good at drawing. In the did way you ever draw people, the turtle? The turtle in the back of the you comic about Skippy? book? Skippy did you ever draw I Skippy was, and I was offered a scholarship at the school. What? Uh, no. no. No, I was not. I was not. I couldn't draw anybody. I couldn't draw Bunky. I couldn't draw Lucky. The other one, the other one is I wish I, I don't want to learn to play piano. I want to be good at piano, right? And that says everything right. you need to know about me. But here's the thing. When you look at somebody who's not like you and has a skill that you don't have and kind of don't understand, they feel like a magic person. 
So, for example, people like, I don't know, some people probably look at me and go like, how can you be on time for things? And it's like, well, I try really hard. Or you look at some people and you're like, how can you just be so funny and willing to be funny? And so there's that kind where you're like, boy, I'm so not like that and I don't really understand it. There's another one that I think might be even more special. And this is the classic, like, first week at college thing, right? Where you're like, oh, man, I'm the funny guy. I'm the smart guy. I'm the, uh, you know, Immanuel Kant reference guy. And then you're suddenly surrounded with all of these people, to paraphrase Milton Berle, I'll just take out enough to beat you. Like, uh-huh. I, I, you, you see somebody, you see something you perceive yourself to be good at, historically you think you're good at, like being funny, and then you're like, oh, God, you, you crack wise about 10% of the time that I do, but each time you do, it's about a thousand times better. And that makes yeah. me, I admire that and it makes me angry. You know what Mark I mean? Like Simpson when you appreciate what, 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 you know, what you don't have, but like, you know, you have a little bit. That makes you in some ways appreciate it even more than seeing the person as magic. I mean, this is a different kind of magic. A different kind of magic. A different kind of magic. I, I, I think it's a Queen was, record, but I'm not sure. It was, it was. <clears throat> uh, it was crazy about Chris because his comedy happened in this incubator but it was it was never clear how to take it out of the the little box because as soon as we got on stage um as a band right he froze up deer in the headlights uh, it, if he if he stepped forward to a microphone and said anything it was like a it was like crickets you know and it, and it, and it felt uncomfortable he seemed mm-hmm. uncomfortable and of course Sean and I uh, we we did not have the wit that he did in the dark van, or anything close to it. But on stage, you know, we relax or make oh, jokes or tease each other. Show you guys going back and forth, each giving as good as you get. Yeah, it was it was part of our part of our bit, and we wanted to welcome Chris into that. You know, knowing how funny he was. But but being on stage, it was like it was like he was the he was the. The hello, my daughter, hello, my daughter. Oh, he's Michigan J. Frog. He's the little frog. <laughs> yes. And so, I just watched that last week. <laughs> after he left the band, he went through, he <laughs> spent 10 rang. years. <laughs> he went 10 years where he he joined UCB. He uh, he was an instructor at UCB. He did improv. He He worked and worked and worked to get into comedy. And it was during that decade when comedy became the new rock and roll. And everybody was doing comedy and he, and you know, and I kept just really rooting for him. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, you know, like just find a way to put that plug into the socket. And, and, uh, but there was never the right, it just never was the right combo. And I don't think I went to see him do improv with his improv crew a couple of times. And it was just like, you know, it was passable UCB improv. He, it it didn't. That's, it's a, that's a tough racket. Even if you're really funny, that's a tough racket. Really tough racket. You have it's to be still, so. I mean, like it's got all the difficulties of um, being funny plus a lot of showbiz. Also, UCB is a cult. Not that that's bad, but it is. A cult. <laughs> my uh, my saw... niece, my niece is a big shot in UCB, and it's definitely a cult. Is it a cult? Oh, it's a cult. Oh, it's Don't like a Ponzi that. scheme, right? Well, it's like a Ponzi scheme. You come and you hold the soup cans, and you get this guy over here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> give me, give me a kind of wild cat. Okay, I, here we are. In I Spain. went to see. I went to see ass cats one time. Oh shit, and dog. They was were, Amy Poehler there? Uh, no. Oh, it was, she's the she, most generous improviser ever. She's so fucking amazing. It was fantastic. Oh, it's so good. Were, it's so. Yeah, I've never felt more alive. The first time I saw really good live improv was 
Rob Corddry's group, um, him and other people called Naked Babies. And I was, I've never felt so creatively stimulated in my entire life than watching them do their little kind of mini Herald thing. It I know. was absolutely stimulating. It's absolutely, it's incredible when you see people who are good at it and you're like, I, I, I don't even know how you're good at this or what, I don't understand what, what you're doing. How do you do this? Yeah. I think Janet Varney was at the time. I I think, but, but it was even them at their highest, you know, just like just killing it, peaking. It's still improv. And there were still four moments in the show where I was like, almost almost no one, almost no one in show business. If you know improv, you probably know whose line is in, is in any way, which can be a very funny show. But the point is it's pretty obscure. It's almost like being a poet. Yeah. Especially in the sense that not only does hardly anybody fucking care about what you are nominally good at, but everybody who works with you also hates you. Comedy is full of unhappy people who hate you, and I think the same is true in poetry. I, you know, I did improv in college, and um, and it was at the very sort of start of improv in college, right? It was called theater sports. There oh, was yeah, a sure. There was a guy that came to our school, and he was like the Johnny Appleseed of theater sports. He seeded theater sports in different colleges. And the year that he was there coaching us and teaching us, uh, it was one of the greatest things I ever did. Uh, my freshman year in college, I was in theater sports with this, with this small group of people that all kind of hated each other, but also loved each other. Mm -hmm. And, and this guy, our coach was like, he was like a father figure to us, even though he was probably 28. And then after we were done, he after the, at the end of the year, we were talking about the next year and what was going to happen. And we were a hit on co campus. And he was like, well, looks like you guys got it. I'm going to move on to the next school and start theater sports over at the University of Montana. And we were Whoa. like, no, 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 don't leave. And as soon as he left, it turned into, I mean, the following year, you know, first day of sophomore year, it was just clear like, oh, this is not fun anymore. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it still, it remained very popular uh, because people hadn't seen it improv before but it was <laughs> it's fun. like me the less i tweet the more followers i get <laughs> it's so amazing you guys are legendary because you never do anything <laughs> you never do anything <laughs> but you know i was never <clears throat> excuse me i was never that person that that discovered a talent uh, at some point in life that i didn't know was there mm -hmm. and i always you Did, kind were of hoping hope. we were hoping that would happen, like those dreams where you find a secret room in your house. Were you hoping there was something that would pop up that you suddenly everyone says, you know, John, you're really good at this one thing that people find valuable. You should do that. Yeah, the the the, the, the idea that like you would like pick up some watercolors and just start working, and then all of a sudden everybody's crowding around. Like, oh, how did you do it? You and see, you see it in school, like when you're a kid. You, I'm sure you see this in school, where like if you ever back when we would go to school and do things, and you look at all the drawings on the wall. And there'll be one or two drawings where you're like, who did this? Yeah. Jesus Christ. You're six and you yeah. understand like perspective and like how to color in the lines and do all the things. And everybody else is just out there taking a shit on the paper. There was a girl in my daughter's preschool class who was between the ages of three and four. Mm -hmm. She made several artworks where I, I just saw that she had the vision. And she was a little bit of a spooky magic child anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But at four years old, she was making art that was not what other kids were doing. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she was seeing through the, 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 the veil. And, um, 
And I think about her sometimes. I mean, I haven't seen her in six years, but I think sometimes, like, Sky, I wonder what she's working on right now. There's, to- what- there's totally people like this. There, I mean, like, I remember, like, there's a, a pal of mine. Well, anyway, long story short, but the, we, we knew this guy, and, like, <clears throat> so you'd seen people play a Chapman stick. You'd seen, like, Tony Levin or whoever do that. Right, but you're like, what the fuck do you do with this thing? And, like, the guy who was— Did you see John Vanderslice when he was on tour with the Chapman stick player? Oh, geez. Did you ever see that? I don't first, think I did. The first I've John Vanderslice band— no, he had a he had a Chapman stick player, and this was during the indie rock era when Vanderslice thought that what he was doing was sitting in a chair and to the side. Hmm. So his his original so he's tours, really he, in at least a couple ways there he is training toward Fripp. He really was like I'm I sit first mm-hmm. of all during our shows. Oh, was he also like, like did he want to be like a Zappa like he's going to conduct kind of thing? Uh, no, he wasn't. He. he <sighs> It was it was the Death Cab used to do this too, like singer to the side, drummer to the front, mm. kind of. Uh, we're just we're upending the conventional paradigm of, yeah. of rock bands. <laughs> Inspired by know. Night Ranger, you know, just because I'm the singer doesn't mean I should be in the front. <laughs> okay, all right, whatever you say. All right, Bellingham, <laughs> but, <Pump and laughs> breaks. <laughs> but not only was he not to the front, but he was in a chair, and it was like, John, you're not playing anything that necessitates you being in a chair. You're not playing a lap steel. You're not even that good <laughs> on the guitar. Just stand up and But front and center at his show was a guy playing the Chapman stick, making all the Chapman stick faces, doing the guitar face, and you know, just playing like. My old friend, mm-hmm. my wife. <laughs> it was so weird, but he my was my old flame. He was he was very weird, John Vanderslice. Anyway, this is a guy who could like in his first exposure to a Chapman stick, he puts it in his hand, in like thirty seconds, he can play like a like a pentatonic blues thing that made sense on the instrument. Like I could probably pick out how to fake some Bernard Herrmann on a cello. With some drinks in me, Jesse Char, sorry about that. But but I don't fundamentally understand how to play the fucking instrument. But there are people in the way that that little kid knew how to make art that was more than a drawing for an assignment. And then a lot of them were like, yeah, whatever, it's a, it's a thing I do. You know, they're just some people. And I'm believe me, I am not here with the new, like, great man theory of mm. naturally gifted people. you got to go mm. work your ass off or there's no point. Yes. But it's, it is, it's amazing, amazing to behold. People who are people who can do their thing. I'm sorry you never got that, John. You deserve that. You deserve a hidden Thank skill. Thank you. Thank you, Merlin. You remember <sighs> when we went to the gun range? Oh, absolutely. And do you remember? Yep. Do I you remember rem- there was one of us. There was one of us. Who could do it? The who least, had even, never How is it possible before? there's a person who is less likely than me to be good at shooting a pistol yeah. who was improbably an order of magnitude better than everybody there, including several people who had shot pistols before. And that and was Jonathan. Had, that was Jonathan, the kid. It was, the kid. it was Jonathan. That's right. He'd never held a gun before. And he was like, He shot huh, a 45. Like a 45 yeah. is so loud. And just sending it right down the middle. And, and he just didn't even cool know. You had to pull didn't it up and know. show him on the target that he had done well. And if memory serves, he said, cool, cool, cool. He did. He said, cool, cool, cool. And it was like, no, you don't understand God, how hard God this is it, that what you First of all, stop saying that. <laughs> and second, oh yeah, cool, cool, cool. Everybody was amazed. And we kept putting different calibers of gun in his hand. Try <laughs> this one. He was like, pow, pow, pow. the biggest gun and he's still yeah. good at it. He was just like, I don't know. He should be, he's teaching, he's teaching grade school in New York right now. He should be in the special forces. He should be in Mossad. He should be I the did. new Gal Gadot. I do not understand how that happened. Fuck but he was, that. but it's the, the kind of gifted that not only did he not 
know that he was, but he didn't care that he was. So frustrating. We walked out of there and he was like, oh, well, yeah. what else you got? And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't even care. If I was a great shot, I don't know if I would care or do anything about it, but I think I would care. I mean, I think it would right. be something that I would bring up on my podcasts. You well, know, yeah, I'm I mean, look, I'm, kind of, I'm naturally baseball. okay good at darts, but I have oh. not put in the effort to be very, very good at darts. And so that's, that's not something that like I obsess about. That's kind of like good at pool, right? Like well, sometimes oh, you're good at pool, good sometimes pool. you're not good at pool type of good. Oh, no, no. Also, there is such a thing as beginner's luck. There is that weird thing. And you see, you know where you see this is in fucking bowling. You could be bowling and you could be like, let's say, like an okay good, like 139 average, 150 average player. And then there's somebody who comes up there and, you know, they're, 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 uh, they're throwing it like Tom Haverford like between their legs or whatever, and they just keep getting strikes and spares. And you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I don't know. The ball's kind of heavy. It hurts my thumb. Like, shut up. Stop being good at bowling. I worked really hard at this. And then the next time when they try to be good, maybe they're not as good. That is that at, is definitely a thing. At bowling, I am the classic American who does not understand bowling, mm-hmm. does not throw the ball correctly, but I've been bowling a lot of times um, because it was a thing that we used to do in America before the fall. Everyone agrees. Mm-hmm. And I can huck and pray yeah. and generally do pretty good at bowling, I right? I mean, you throw I, too hard and you don't get enough pin action. Do you know about the little arrows on the floor? You're supposed to throw over to one side mm-hmm. a little bit? Just remember, the head pin is a cop. It's very difficult to do, but that second arrow becomes very important. It's also a very important concept in Buddhism. The second arrow. About Chris, the second... Oh, here's the thing. You get shot with an arrow and it hurts. Sure. But then the second arrow is the, is the pain that we inflict oh. upon ourselves. So how does bowling work? I've oh. never been able to do it. I, I, I do throw over – I know to throw over to one side and let it hook around. Yeah. I do throw it too hard. The most, the, most kind of, the most kind of rookie starting thing, obviously, I think, is to – and I'm not a pro here. I was in bowling club, not bowling team. I was on, on a bowling club in eighth grade well, with the graphics well, teacher, my drafting yeah. teacher. Yeah, as you right. do. And uh, all, I, all I know is this. Don't throw, don't throw too, too hard. Try to keep, obviously keep it out of the gutters. And it's all about the pin action. So what you want is you want to be hitting it hard enough in the right spot in like the Cincinnati pocket. Like you want to get into the side of the Brooklyn pocket. It's like different kinds of clam chowder. You want to Between come the, the right one space. and the two. One and two, one and three, like whatever, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And then the pin action is all about like if you throw it too hard and you learn this in wee bowling, you throw it too hard and you make a little river through the pins. You got yeah. no pin action. When right? I when I When I bowl, I throw it so hard that like the – the pins just explode in every direction, but you're right. There's always like, <laughs> there's always a pin over here and a pin over there that didn't get caught in the melee. Yes, and I'm like, exactly. how much harder could I throw it? And they're you're like, using ah. a ranged weapon, but you're treating it like like you're having like a fight with a bugbear. You know, la la la. So what were we talking about? We're talking about Chris. What were we talking about? What else were we talking about? Oh, about? we're talking about so many things. We're Party talking about punch. marshmallows I'm, I'm and salmon. I'm going to give you the recipe for that. While you've been talking, I've been listening extremely closely, and I've also been tagging faces in old photos. So I'm looking at lots of old photos of you guys. I got a great oh, picture fun. of you and Sean driving in a convertible on Van Ness Avenue that I might use for show art. Is that okay? Sean's toward the front of the photo. Is that all right? Um, that's a that is that's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful picture. That, really? I yeah. remember I remember you taking that picture. I remember those days. What I don't remember mm-hmm. is why Sean and I had a convertible in San Francisco. I think you had the option. It was when you guys were in town. I think we're on the way to soundcheck at Great American, probably when you yeah, guys do okay. one of your Simon and Garfunkel shows, which right. were amazing. Oh wait a um, minute, we might have been opening for they might be giants. Did you guys open for the Wrens ever? No. We played, like, I'm just looking at my clusters of photos with John Roderick. Yes. Okay. Opening for really, that was probably it. It was, was definitely it the a great American. Yep. Yep. 
that might have been the first. So we we had met the the Giants two days before, I yeah. think, and that was the, the night the, you the, met just Robin Gold. For context, the date I've got here is it was at least uploaded March nineteenth, two thousand four. So around about early March. Oh, I think it had to have been it had to have been before okay. that. I think it had I th- it had to have had been a chance in for the upgrade. You arrived, and I think you did one of the little fly-ins. You did a Colton style, president style pop in. Right. You too, and I think you maybe got the option, and so you popped for an American convertible. <laughs> oh yes, we did. It looks very, it looks uh, very dodgy Chrysler. Yeah, it was. I think it was a Chrysler Sebring uh, <laughs> back when you. But you know, the Chrysler Sebring, of course, my mom believed was one of the most beautiful American cars of the era. There's a reason Michael Scott chose it. <laughs> she, she really was convinced yes. that the Sebring was going to be a classic car. Really? More than a K car, huh? <laughs> yeah. She thought that, that uh, having lived many lives up till that point, she felt like she had a pretty good bead. She knew that the 64 Mustang was going to be a classic <clears throat> the day it rolled off the assembly God, line. yes. Hex gun grill. And she... When she saw the 2000 or the 1997 Chrysler Sebring LX convertible, Ooh. she said, this thing is, a, is a, a, an American car classic. This is an icon of, of Detroit at its finest. Wow. And you mark my words, uh-huh, uh-huh. most of them won't survive, but the ones that do will, will fetch a pretty penny, a pretty penny at, uh-huh. at Meekums. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Brian Eno said, you know? Yeah, only a thousand people ever bought that car, but they all became a mechanic. That's right. That's right. Only eight hundred people <laughs> bought the Subaru WRX. WRX. Yeah, that sounds like all, a hell of a trim package. Now they all wish they had. Yeah, but she, shame. but she, she still believes. I mean, you'll you'll still see a Sebring. You hmm, know, really? coming through the rye. Coming through the rye. Uh huh. Uh huh. Once, once, uh, once a month, maybe you'll huh. catch a glimpse of a Sebring out of the corner of your eye. I might have Sebring blindness, John. You think? I mean, I, I, so here's the thing. I bet I see them, but I don't know if I grok Sebring-ness. It, they're from the um, the lozenge era of American car oh, makers. You mean like those fucking 85, 86 Thunderbirds? That they are very that much some, derived. That was some fucking bullshit. And like when, when the Toyota wagon started looking like ATMs, not a fan. Yeah. The, 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 um, the, the Thunderbird, when the Thunderbird first came out. Mm-hmm. They were long and tall and mean and fast. The, the, the kid down the street from me, two doors down from me, Chris Gills. Chris Gills was a constant thorn in my side because he was a much better skier than I was. Mm. He was kind of a Lothario for a 15-year-old. Um, and he was, <laughs> a, he was really sarcastic, snide, like put-down yeah. artist. Yeah. And he wanted to be friends with Kevin Horning, my best friend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Kevin was very torn because if he was friends with Chris, he was cool and introduced to all the cool things, like drinking and and going to second base and stuff. Oh, yeah. And if he was friends with me, he mm. was going to be consigned to the dustbin of nerd history, mm. where you know. Uh, and I don't remember what I was talking about at the time, but it was probably like the how Russian bear bombers were trying to intercept our, you know, strategic. We know we know how the story ends. You know what I'm saying? You got you got to bet on the right pony. I think Chris Gills lives with his parents still, but Hmm. Chris came to me one day and the thing is Chris never tried to be my friend except a few times in life. And once I was standing out in the snow in the cold outside of the tasty freeze, Mm -hmm. uh, and yep, uh, almost. Mm -hmm. And Chris Hmm. pulled up in his car and was like, want to ride? And he drove me home, Hmm. which was 
which he never did. And we, and we sat in the car and I remember very distinctly talking about Night Ranger. And I think you might've even mentioned Night Ranger in this episode already. They, uh, Kelly, Kelly Keegi had an unusual drum position. I think he played sideways so he could look at the audience when he's singing Sister Christian. Oh, I never yeah. know which is stage right and left, but from our right in the audience, Kelly Keegi would be off on the side. And then you got Brad Gillis and Jeff Watson in the middle bringing the motherfucking ruckets. You know what I'm saying? I was in a I was in a big, bar big in, fan. I, I continue to yeah. believe that "Don't Tell Me You Love Me" is a very good. It's a very hard good. rock song. I was in I was in a bar. Don't in tell me East I don't want to know. Um, somewhere on the East Bay, like uh, like uh, what are the towns over there? You got uh, Oakland. Nope. Keep, keep going over the Berkeley? mountains. Nope. Keep going over the mountains. Oh, oh through the tunnel. Uh, uh, oh shit, Vallejo. Uh, nope. Nope. Fuck. Uh, Small uh, bedroom community. Uh, oh, oh, the nice place. Yeah, the nice place. The nice place by Berkeley. I know where you mean. Yeah, there's well, a there's called? a really nice. It's called it's called uh, uh, Cockbrook or something. No, it's that, wood, yeah, you're wood, close. Woodman. Wood no, I know what you mean. Wood, I know what you mean. It's sure. really nice and expensive. Uh, it's a heights. No, fuck me. God, it's the Shire. Uh, fancy East neighborhood Bay. East Bay. Uh, fancy neighborhood East Bay. Oh God, my wife is gonna <laughs> kill <laughs> me. Yep, yep. It's right oh, over there. Rockridge. Nope, nope. It's not Rock it's, Ridge. It's over by Concord. It's um, oh, way out there. Oh, you're talking Walnut about Walnut Creek. Walnut Country. Creek. That's, Walnut that's where Creek. that's where my brother and sister in law used to live. That's where that's where the glasses you gave me got thrown away. Now that I'm angry. Oh, all those bastards. They were such good glasses, John. I was in a bar in Walnut Creek da, 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 da. at some point, and I I am trying <laughs> desperately right now to to piece it together how I got there. But Brad Gillis was there playing Fuck pool, you. playing pool. And being like super cool, Brad Gillis. Holy shit! He, and was, he I, played with Ozzy too, dude. Yeah, and it was just it was just a, a, a like a small bar in Walnut Creek in the middle of the afternoon. Wyatt, what is and it Brad was just Gillis like, doing there? Was he a homeowner? Do you think? He think he I think he lived in Walnut Creek. Yeah. Okay. I don't usually do this because it's really creepy. Where does Brad Gillis live? I know where does Brad I hope Gillis. He's okay, I hope he's happy. I, I think he he certainly was happy that day. He seemed very well balanced. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's you, always interesting. You remember that thing for a while where you had the twin guitar attack? And this is not always true, but there was a point when you had to have, when you did a twin guitar attack, first of all, you couldn't be playing the same brand of guitar. Usually you'd have, you'd have one guy on a tricked out, uh, like, a, like a Strat with Seymour Duncans, and then the other guy is usually playing a Les Paul. This right, is no. like a, a Kramer and a, yes. and a right. And Kramer. so one of the, but you ever noticed, one, it was like a Mutt and Jeff situation. When you do that, you usually have one guy who's big and one guy who's little, whether that's height or slenderness or what have you. It's the Def Leppard, yeah. The Def Leppard, but these, these, it goes for all the things. Now, what about, well, K.K. Downey would be the little guy. He's the he's, little guy. He's the yeah. Vivian Campbell. Yeah. The and Jeff, he's, play, the and he's playing the V, he's playing the V, and then the, yes, 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 then, yes. The, then the, the, whatever, the Strat thing. Is over there with uh, with um, the other guy. Uh, how am I not? How how is his name not the first uh, thing that comes it's to uh, my mind? Uh, it's uh, it's uh, down uh, in Glenn Tipton. Glenn, Glenn Tipton. Tipton. That's the one. Now does this go all the way back to the Eagles, John? Because I feel like if you had to break it down between Joe Walsh and Don Felder, is it clear who's who's the Campbell, who's the who's the Brad? Do you have a sense of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like I feel like Joe Walsh might be the big guy, and Don Felder might be the little guy. The problem is that Joe Walsh is the new guy. Joe, and, he was absolutely the new guy. He's that yeah. he's that fellow with the mustache and cocaine from James Gang. And now, shit dog, what he lays down on that track. Oh, he comes he comes in and and you know like Bernie was oh. um, was Bernie like Toppin? uh. B- b- Are you having a stroke, John? Be honest. Derp 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 derp. <laughs> 
he was know. the he was Bernie Bernie Ledden, the the guitar player of the Eagles, the original. <laughs> what? The original, Wait. So you're the, saying so Don Felder was an original? You got Glenn Fry mostly playing acoustic. You got uh, Don Henley on the traps. Yeah. Yeah, you've got uh, before Timothy. You had the guy who wrote the songs, Messner, Randy Messner. I mean, my my Eagles knowledge is <clears throat> my Eagles knowledge is is somewhat truncated by yeah. the fact that it, as we've discussed before mm-hmm. in the early nineties, I was uh, I was informed quite clearly that liking the Eagles was no longer socially acceptable. Oh, that was a thing for a while, and I was we've, like, we've, but hopefully but, we've unlearned the same way we've all learned to love Billy Joel. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but you know, like, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we'll come back to this. Oh, bradgillis.com. Maybe we should keep going. Our state of the art. St- oh, wait a minute. Bradgillis.com. Call Tell the cops. More. Here Tell we go. Me more. Okay. Okay. Oh, he looks good. He looks good. Oh, I was worried. I figure, you know, a big fella gets bigger is what I'm thinking. Yeah, sure. Where is he now? Um, where where are Bay? they now? Uh, Brad Gillis, born in 1950. Look at that guy. Holy shit. He look, who's your friend who used to do drugs and guns and roses? Oh, uh, Duff. He, he's Duff-like. Go check out fucking Brad Gillis. Brad. That guy looks healthy as shit. I really do think he's a, he's a, a Bay Area guy. Is he right. still, is he it, there this, still? I read quickly in the description on the Google, Bernie Torme. Who is that? Oh, he still looks very good. He look looks at him. Terrific. He's terrific. Sure, he does. Uh, he looks. I'll like, always support him. I'll always support Brad Gillis. Good for you, man. He he brought us a lot. You can still rock in America, you know. And he also who did now who did it was Jeff Watson that did the multi finger tapping. Brad just did the your basic ripping. He did. He ripped. Yeah, he was the ripper. The ripper? the ripper. The ripper. He did the sleeveless. He did the sleeveless. Um, the sleeveless, sleeveless striped like tank top thing that oh. I could never quite pull No, no, off. no, no, no. You know who gets to wear that striper? And bumblebees. Hmm. That is all. Let's see. <laughs> so I'm going to contact the studio of Brad Gillis. See, see if you if can, can book some time. Horn. It's got a form or it's got a form with mandatory fields. Just tell me where you are. It's, I thought I saw something about the Bay Area. You know, I'm going to learn more. I'm going to learn if more you, about If this. you look at the... If you look at the music video for Sister Christian, and I know this because I covered the song last year at Sketchfest there in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, if you if you watch the music video, you realize that um, it's kind of one of the tragedies of uh, of the of the video era, because the song is as you've uh, as you've said already, sung by Kelly Keegi, yeah, the drummer, but Kelly Keegi is. Between the third and fifth best looking member of Night Ranger. Yeah. And the music video people, the label, yeah. did not he's, he's want to. He's got a kind of Mickey Dolan's thing going on, which is not bad. And not just because he drums such as it is, but don't you think he's a little, he's not the Davy, he's the Mickey. And so the, the music video tells the story of these uh, high school girls that are, you know, popular and, they, and then the one girl that hides behind the amps and then the, the amps fall over and I she's do, revealed. I don't remember this at all. I remember, a, don't tell me you love me. I remember there being train tracks. I there was like. a, there, they, they had like a 50s Cadillac convertible at one point. Okay. But the music, every time the video cuts to the band, it always cuts to, um, to like Jack Blades and Brad Gillis oh, Jack going. Blades. That guy's half a snack. Woof. Yeah, right? He was great, man. Hey, but you know, he played with a thumb pick, which kind of took him down a couple notches for me. But, but they didn't but God, have, was he handsome. 
Yeah, but they didn't like he didn't he didn't have the voice of Kelly Keegan. Nope. But they always cut to him and Brad Gillis singing on the same mic going, Motoran! Mm-hmm. Like singing the chorus. But then all the like passionate um sort of verses that you, you want to see the lead singer. When you get singer, to the when you get to yeah. that, like boy, he's feeling some things. Right at the end, they do show Kelly Keegi. He turns around on his drum stool and he he really emotes. He does the like two fists brought mm-hmm. down to his waistline, like motorhead. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, he gets his moment. Yeah. But the whole music video, when you watch it, you realize like they are trying super hard not to feature this guy. And they probably uh, got they you know, probably it kind got of notes. No, the label gave gave the videographer notes. Now, here's another thing, and I, I this could be a uh, an Oprah memory, but do, you know, there was a time when you always had a sur- uh, somebody a keyboard player in the band who dressed as a surgeon. Wasn't there a guy in that yeah. Ranger who dressed as a surgeon and who wasn't in the Revolution? No, no, no. I think no. there was really? a surgeon. Wasn't there a surgeon? I, you know, I couldn't I even remember this wrong. Go look for like I want to say like Midnight Madness. You know my story, right? You know mm-hmm. my Night Ranger story where I could go and I. Didn't have a lot of money when I was 18, and I could go to see... I, I know you know this story. Captain Marm's just just rolling her eyes right now. Um, I had the choice of going to see one band or another band. The The band that I ended up going to see was Night Ranger and Starship. The band that sure. I did not go to see was a, a little band called R.E.M. with the DBs opening for them at the USF oh. soccer field. And my fly I broke am that seen- night. My fly broke. It was my 18th birthday, and my fly broke. And I knew it was a divine retribution, oh. probably from Mitch Easter or something. Yeah. I am looking at the cover of that record, and they have a keyboard player dressed as a surgeon. I remember wow. that, right? Oh, that does that. How? Why is it that's not making me? Oh, good, good Kelly Keegi. But look, so I don't think you should do surgery with sunglasses on, John, unless he has some no. kind of a medical sensitivity. I, I always look back at the 80s and go, why didn't more guys have beards? And right. I think during the 80s themselves, mm-hmm. a lot of dads had beards. Mm. It's just that no rock stars had beards. Be, maybe a Bob Seger, but I also feel like, right. to your point, and I'm not, I'm not cracking wise here, this is some f- fucking historical shit, is that there was a thing that happened, and it depends on the band, okay? For some bands between 78 and 83, some bands suddenly went disco for just a little while. And that's fine. But then there were other bands yeah. <clears throat> that in 1981 to especially three or four decided to update their look. And there's a lot of bands that had famous guys with long hair who cut off their long hair. There were guys sure. who had famous beards, not including ZZ Top, Frank, not Frank Beard, but they would cut off those. Do you remember this? You would come back and if you were a yes, yes comes back on the scene and suddenly it's a lot less Wick, Wick, Rick Wakeman and a lot more like bowl cut. Right. Am I remembering well, sure. this I right? Mean, but the part of the tra- yeah, new wave transformation, the new wave transformation, it required you to cut off some hair and have a new look. Yeah, yeah, have a new look. I, yeah. The 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 what this is reminding me of is I don't know if you're familiar with the band Boney M. I know uh, they Boney, had one hit that's killing me. I know they had a hit that I can't remember. They're an English band, was, right? Uh, they were from the U. Or no, they were from Germany, but they were all oh, the what members was their of the band. Song I've seen them on from, like Top of the Pops. God. Yeah, they were from the Caribbean, but they were they were a manufactured band. I did an omnibus on this. Okay. Uh, the the same guy that put Millie Vanilli together ten years later. Okay. Put Boney M together in the seventies. But there's a famous video of them playing at the Sopot Festival in 1979 in Poland. Hmm. And their keyboard player <laughs> is full-on dressed like a sheik. He's got the 
he's got the whole like oh he he's got the like head thing in the ring and whatnot yeah, it's from the uae and he's just back there smiling is and he having playing. fun with it is he doing his app he's, having, he's having fun he's with having it. a lot of fun he's having a lot of fun being mm. the chic and i realized like oh that was if you were gonna have a keyboard player that was wearing a costume yeah i mean chic would be you couldn't do it these days, but you probably couldn't no. dress him like a surgeon these days. Well, there's a lot of people in the village, people, God bless them, where you wouldn't want to do that today. I think Philippe would That's probably right. need to get a much more updated look. Yeah, you know? I don't know if you could do any of that today. Well, you know, let's see, because cops, you, cops you got Blue Lives Matter. There's that. Construction, I think, you know, thank you for your service. We're still grateful for that. What about a sea Army captain? guy. We've got an army guy oh, and, a, and a sea captain <laughs> and a Native American. Like a one-legged guy, kind of like a, like peg leg guy? With a parrot on his shoulder type of sea captain, you mean? Oh, wow. Um, boy, you're going to get canceled, John. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. It's so good to talk to you. It's nice to talk to you.